Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today we had a really great conversation with a friend of mine named Ashley Robbins. And Ashley and I connected on Facebook through some of the groups that we were a part of there. And Ashley is, wow, she's just wise beyond her years. Don't you think, Maggie? Yes, it's so funny just in how she was telling her story and all of the life experiences that she had. I expected her to be a little bit closer to our age, um, you know, and then to find out that she's in her early 20s. And that is like amazing. Again, she's wise beyond her years and she's had so much life experience. And and then to uh, be so reflective and not that I'm like saying that people in their early 20s aren't self-aware and self-reflective, but she is just a really great model for all of that. Yeah, I, th- I think she's a she's a good demonstration of what I, I think is happening. And that is, I think this deconstruction process of reevaluating one's faith seems to be happening to people earlier and earlier in their lives. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. That's my observation. But she certainly has. And, um, you know, sh- she was raised in a very fundamentalist kind of Christian home and, and church and, mm-hmm. um, you know, experienced a lot of trauma as a result of that and 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 her life experiences that were uh, a part of that and so just to warn you uh, before we get into this conversation we talk about some really um you know adult content we talk about purity culture and sexuality a lot of the things that go along with that is not always talked about freely but um but we were we were happy that that Ashley was happy to talk about that with us freely. It was a raw conversation, but it was so needed. And it's something that, again, we don't really talk a lot about. So just in case you're listening in the car with little ears, um, we just want you to be aware of that. But this is a fantastic conversation and we can't wait for you to listen. Today we have our new friend, Ashley Robbins, who is a hair and makeup artist from Birmingham, Alabama, and she self-identifies as an ex-pew warmer. Is that not like the best introduction that you've ever heard on our entire podcast? I just think that's amazing. (laughs) It's so good on on many levels, you know, (laughs) calling yourself a pew warmer, like, you know, what else were you there for just to warm the pews, right? And not doing that anymore, (laughs) which I love. Right. That's amazing. Okay, but but Chris, you uh, actually are the one that connected Ashley to this podcast. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how you met. Yeah, I uh, met Ashley through the Messy Conversations Facebook group, which is Jason Elam's Facebook group, who we had on the podcast recently. You know, I we'll hear from Ashley how she got connected with that uh, in a little bit. But but yeah, it was a pretty cool group of of people who were just uh, deconstructing their faith and. Um, asking lots of questions and voicing, you know, all kinds of uh, qu- questions and, and concerns. And just, and we were, you know, frustrated with things and just, and, and so it was a really good group of people to help everybody process what they were going through. And so, um, and I also saw that Ashley is, is quite an artist as well, which you didn't mention, but, um, and I had her paint a, a, a thing for me that I have hanging up um in my bedroom that's uh, in it when I was going through a pretty hard kind of season I, I had her paint some um it was a really pretty picture of some uh wine vases and 
um, some wine goblets and then one of them was broken and all the wine is, is running out of it. And, um, and then she had, uh, she wrote the, the Psalm verse, uh, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And it was such a beautiful painting. And I, and I look at it every day and, and remember, uh, remember you, Ashley. And so I'm so thankful for that. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel so honored to <laughs> have been able to do that piece for you and to just be talking to you guys Thank anyway, because I've admired you both and, and the content that you put out. <laughs> so, yeah, Ashley, we mentioned uh, Messy Conversations Facebook group. And so I'm curious, tell us the story how you ended up getting connected with Jason and that group. Um, how I got connected was I had a mutual friend with Jason who um, I was just kind of, de- I was starting deconstruction. I did not know what deconstruction was though at the time. Mm-hmm. I just knew Most that I don't. was, <laughs> right. Um, I just knew I was asking questions that had no answers and um, kind of spiraling, I like to put it, and uh, feeling like the whole world's falling apart and where the heck is God? Um, and so I was losing all of my church community. I had just gone through a really horrible divorce and, uh, I was kind of pushed out of the church due to that. So I, uh, someone connected me with Jason. I I just had a, a friend that used to go to one of the congregations that he kind of fostered. And, uh, after that, Jason, I I kind of, I messaged him asking him almost to condemn me for my divorce. Uh, Cause I just, I was like, just go ahead and tell me that I'm going to hell. Just go ahead. Like everyone else has already said it. You apparently know a lot more than just a normal pastor does. You have a lot higher education. So I was like, just go ahead and tell me so I can just go ahead and seal my fate. And he was like, do you, do you know that you're loved? And I was like, I don't want to hear that. That's that's (laughs) such bullshit. Like, no, I, Jason, (laughs) tell me the truth. And he just was kind of like, you know, uh, first of all, hell isn't real. So put that in your pipe and smoke it kind of thing. Sorry, not Mm -hmm. no drugs. Sorry. (laughs) But, um, uh, that shattered my world too. Like, trying to understand that because hell was just always at the base of my faith. So he said that. And then he said I was loved and I was like, I'm sorry, uh, mm-hmm. this is new territory and I don't believe you. So mm-hmm. after that, Jason recommended a book to me. Um, and he actually, he sent me the book. It's the shack. Everyone, oh, yeah. pretty much everybody's read it. Great book. Wow. So how did, how did that book strike you? in that kind of, in that season you were in? Um, I had never thought of God as a woman, first of all. So, um, that was, it was nice. It was comforting, like to, to kind of think about God in in that way as almost like a mother figure. And, um, especially I was losing my mother at that time too. She's, I'm estranged from her now. Um, so I think I really needed that. And I didn't even know it um, just to kind of understand that that God is the mother that you've always needed, not just the father. Um, everyone calls 
him the father, but I think she is also the mother. Um, so, and also the Holy Spirit. I had never given any thought to the Holy Spirit. Grew up in church uh, all my life. Was constantly force-fed scripture. I can probably quote the entire Bible front to back to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I had just never really thought about the Holy Spirit and not given any thought to it or its power um, or its divinity. I just thought, yeah, that that thing exists. The one, two, three, the trifecta, whatever. <laughs> but I didn't know anything about the purpose. I still don't. But I just hadn't really acknowledged it and it was comforting to to see how the Holy Spirit can move. Um, and that sounds really cliche, but I feel like now not being a Christian, it's a little less cliche to me. Can I ask what denomination did you grow up in? I grew up in the church of Christ. Um, there are obviously like several different types. Ours was like considered more liberal. So we didn't have to wear head coverings. Um, and we ate in the church building. <laughs> um, and that's what made us liberal. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> And could men wear wedding rings? <laughs> yes. Wait, is that not a thing for? Oh, some something? other denominations under the general denomination is uh, very, yeah, because jewelry oh. is, only women can wear jewelry. Oh, I didn't oh, know wow. that. I'd never heard of that. Yeah, I contracted a church where the men do not wear wedding rings. Oh, wow. Really. Yeah, they, yeah. I'm. I'm pretty sure they could. I mean, my dad always did. Um, But yeah, um, very, it was still very conservative. At Church of Christ, I feel like it's one of the most conservative types of evangelical churches out there. Um, And I also was part of this thing. I feel like I should shed some light on it because honestly, it, it really messed me up as a kid. There was this program it's still alive and well it's called lads to leaders and leaderettes and um it's hosted by the church of christ um and so obviously i would be a leaderette because i'm a girl so you would they had different things that you could do like i always did the visual arts competition where you like take a scripture and kind of make some kind of visual representation of it um we had where you had to do bible trivia or write a speech, or like a, a sermon kind of thing, um, or lead a song, and then you get trophies for it. Oh, wow. Did you get a lot of trophies? I had so many trophies I threw out last year. I could not count them all. My <laughs> sister had even more that she just told me. She was like, chunk them. That's, that's some bullshit. We don't we don't do that anymore. So like, I took a video of me breaking some of them and throwing them in the garbage it was so like it was so freeing you know because that that really that really taught us to to debate people and to like kind of always be on the side of we're right we know everything we are higher uh, we're the only ones going to heaven kind of thing and it it just taught us to fight everybody on everything and because uh, there was a lot of debate kind of things that happened at those two where you got um, if you won the debate, you also got trophies and ribbons and stuff. It just it taught us as kids that like faith is transactional, like literally. So, yeah, it's about getting the jewels in your crown for heaven yes. and not yes. about, you know, being a, a loving human. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Instead of love your enemy, it's fight your enemy, debate your enemy. Yes. You know, Memorize more than your enemy. Um, have mm-hmm. a better art piece and that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's interesting that it's lad. Is it L-A-D-S? Lads? Yeah. Lads to leaders. Like lads okay. becoming leaders and then leaderettes. Or leaderettes, but not lassies. Lads, no. but not lassies. And the girls never turn no. into anything. We don't turn to leaders. We're just like. No. Right. Just little leaderettes. Just little the yeah. the su- the support person to compliment the the true leader right. just yeah. the i believe that women are just thought of as a lesser like counterpart to a man we just heck that's what that's what fostered my toxic marriage and definitely fueled my divorce so can you tell us a little bit about when things started to change for you theologically in my whole marriage, it had always been um, me serving him and always trying to make sure that he's on the right path and everything and make sure that he's always praying and reading his Bible and going to church and being responsible for his salvation. And so after all of the abuse and after I kind of woke up to it and uh, when it got more violent and I was really able to see like, ah, this is a bad situation. Um, when I got out of it, I was still like within the church community. Um, nobody knew that I had gotten divorced until later on. So for like a couple of months, I was still going to service and trying to be active. So, um, I started noticing more things within the sermons that were like very oppressive towards women. And I don't know if it's because now I could see the manipulation and the narcissism and uh, some male figures in the church, but it just kind of opened my eyes to that in their sermons. And one thing that really stuck out to me was um, one week we had like this meeting after church where we saw the budget for the church and it of the money went to utilities and then another small percent went to paying staff and then a tiny sliver went to missionaries and then another tiny little part went to our youth group. And I was just appalled at that. And I was like, okay, we should just get rid of this building guys. Like we could, we could just meet in houses. And then they were like, no, this is a holy place. And I'm like, this is, this is pavement. This is <laughs> the what? Mm-hmm. Um, this is not blessed by God, like just this one place in Gardendale, Alabama. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if you think God walks everywhere, then everywhere we touch is blessed. So we could talk about that, you know, but they're not ready for that conversation. So after seeing the budget, it just, it kind of, uh, was reaffirming like this is not I don't think Jesus died for this I don't think this is what it was meant to be and I that's when the questions started coming where I was like well why does Paul why is he the mouthpiece of God you know like um why does he get to choose all the things that happen like for the church now like who who gave him that power and then there were and honestly I think listen, Paul, I love you. I think you had good intentions. And I think you tried, 
but we took it and we ran the wrong way. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, personally, I think we we worship Paul. We don't worship Jesus. We don't we don't worship anything that was originally supposed to happen and um, keep us on the right track. So, yes, yeah. After totally that, agree. there were questions that couldn't be answered, and then I just. Uh, Brad Jerzak put it this way. He was like, you know, some people for deconstruction, they will, um, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he says um, sometimes they'll just like throw dynamite in the building and the building being their, you know, spiritual walk, their face, you know. Um, But then others will approach it as a stained wedding dress and they'll meticulously try to clean it and, you know, be gentle and he was more supportive of the way of the wedding dress, which I think I am now, but me, I threw that dynamite in that building. I burned the whole damn thing down and it was bad and it was painful for everybody involved and everybody saw it. Cause I just went off the rails and I'm not ashamed of it, but, and I think I, I needed it to happen, but it really um, pushed me out of the church completely. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard him talk about that, and um, I, I see his point, but, you know, sometimes, I think sometimes the total demolition and ending up at at atheist is where people need to go if, if you know, and, and it doesn't mean that they have to continue and build something back up after that. It's just, you know, that's just where they need to go, and that's fine for them. Sometimes um, it's just safer think, that way, which is kind of sad yeah. to say, because... I know. I wish that yeah. everyone could, you know, I guess acknowledge beautiful encounters with God. But uh, even if they don't acknowledge that it's God, I hope that they can just enjoy it. Like at the end of the day, I, I just hope that they can feel loved and then reciprocate that to other people. It doesn't matter what you identify as. It just whatever you are, just be good. Yes. Amen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's true, though, you know, um, uh, I I had a conversation with somebody that just was demonizing deconstruction and he was not in a place to hear anything other than like, you know, if you if people that deconstruct, they all become atheists. And I was like, well, no, because I did. And my faith is deeper now than it was before, you know, um, but I and he just was like, no, we have to prevent people from deconstructing and. And I said, but do you trust God with their journey? And he kind of looked at me and he was like, I know what you're saying, <laughs> but you know, like that's the, it. the correct, he was like, the correct answer is yes. I was like, yeah. So trust God that they're going to end up exactly where they need to be, you know, as a person that believes in God. So um, anyway, but yeah, I think that is, I think the dynamite is part of some people's journey. And I think the wedding dress is, you know, it's part of some people's journey, both in, you know, uh, societal norms and theologically. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think, um, so like for me and my sister, it was so deeply ingrained in us. Like, I I mean, I remember being in, uh, like the preschool Bible class and it wasn't just learning the stories, you know, like all the cute stories. It was literally like doing drills of, repeat this back to me like this verse just repeat it repeat it repeat it and it was just meticulous work and it was like you they pretty much made us just little 
soldiers, little soldiers to like carry out the, uh, the battle, which I, I'm not even sure what the battle was supposed to be, to be honest. Cause I was like, does that mean Satan's coming back with like swords? <laughs> <laughs> not knowing I was in the presence of Satan, like not to call those people Satan or anything, but, um, Satan is very much within the community that I grew up in. And there's, I feel like Satan is the one that's fostering all of this um, animosity. If that yeah. person is real, if that thing is real, Satan. Because I, I definitely, I think I agree with Jason with the whole hell isn't real. And if it is, God didn't make that. <laughs> I'm really struck by you talking about literally breaking the trophies and throwing them in the trash. And mm. I think that is so symbolic. Mm. Um, I think that's so symbolic, but I also wonder about the space that it created for you to put something new. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I'm real big into the like destroying part. I'll throw the dynamite. I'll break the trophy. but <laughs> Sometimes I won't look back at what, at the space that I've created, as you say, I think, I think I just forgive that person that I was. Um, I think it helps me to kind of let go of that person, um, to do kind of symbolic things like that. There, there was also, um, so purity culture, I love to hate it. Um, so purity culture rages within any kind of evangelical especially like conservative community so uh, they made us sign this thing when I was like 11 I think um at church that was like um we had this whole day of like okay don't have sex until you're married because you'll be trash <laughs> and <laughs> Yes. I mean, like point that's blank, what that's they what say. they told us. Um, they they put it in a really like frothy way, though. That was like, oh, okay. It was very palatable at the time. Um, and they made us sign this little sheet that was like, I'll be pure forever. And I took it last year and I tore it to shreds. And that was a whole new beginning for me when it came to my sexuality and the way that I viewed myself, the way that I viewed sex, the way that I viewed um, relationships, whether intimate like that or not. Um, and just the way I connected with people, um, it went far above just purity culture and um, sexual encounters and that type of intimacy. Um, so that was really um, chain breaking for me, I think. Cool. Um, so it's created a lot of space for this new person that I'm trying to cultivate and I'm still learning about her and I'm still trying to, um, make her better. Yeah. Um, talking about myself in the third person. I'm no, dumb. that is, I mean, I do that all the time, you know, and I talk about myself <laughs> in, uh, in plural. There was somebody on a call that, uh, was like, you like literally called me out in front of the whole class. She goes, you uh, talk about your, like, who's we? And I was like, Oh, that's me. Me and my inner committee, you know, like all the, anyway. So no, this is a safe place to uh, call yourself whatever you would like to be called. And we will call you that as well. <laughs> Great. Call me the, the dragon leader. 
the master. No, I love it. I love it. (laughs) I'm quoting a bunch of like old YouTube references. (laughs) Uh, I was my, uh, I guess it was national pronoun day a couple months ago. And my friend was texting me. She goes, you know, I've never actually asked you like, what are your pronouns? And I was like, Oh, like I generally, when I talk about myself in third person, I generally use she and we, and she was like, okay, cool. Um, and I said, what are yours? And she goes, uh, she, her, and boss ass bitch. And I was like, I love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so, uh, one other thing you said about, you said when you broke all those trophies, it was freeing. And, uh, I also get the mm-hmm. sense that you have experienced a lot of freedom in this last year or so of understanding who you are better and, uh, making her better. Yes. Um, I've also gone through some pretty heavy therapy in the last like nine months that have also really kind of given me, I guess the, um, the bravery to, to, to make that space for this new person and to, to grow her, to water her, to feed her. Um, I didn't think much of myself for a long time because there was a lot of, uh, it wasn't even an underlying theme. It was like um, down the hatch, open wide, uh, kind of down the hatch, open wide. You are a disgusting creature that um, God doesn't love you. Um, he'll love you if. It was always an if-then statement. Love was always if-then for me. Um, I carried that over into marriage. I carried that in my friendships, um, my relationships with my family. Um, and it's, it's been hard trying to break, break down all that now. Um, but I, I really like the person that's shining through all of this. Um, I'm really happy where I am now. I'm really happy to have my Sundays back. Yeah. Um, I really like my Sunday meditation. It's the best church service I've ever been to. It like awesome chill bumps. Amazing. Like I, I honestly feel like it's a real spiritual encounter and I never found that in a pew. Yeah. Hmm. Well, cause like you said, the church is cement, you know, and, uh, and if God walked everywhere, then everywhere is sacred, which means that exactly where you spend your Sundays meditating is your space to connect with uh, yourself and with God or whatever you would like to call her. Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, happy to cultivate that now. I didn't think that I was even allowed to like, um, when I first started deconstruction, I still thought that there were so many rules. Uh, I thought there were rules to deconstruction. I thought there was a time frame for it. And now <laughs> I'm realizing, I'm like, oh, so I can have a spiritual experience while I am, uh, like, I can invite the spirit in when I'm headbanging in mm-hmm. my living room. And I often do that. It's <laughs> quite nice. I really think that God's in the heavy metal. Um <laughs> Well, you read The Shack. God, uh, you know, she says of every band, past, present, future, I'm very fond of them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The Shack, it has, The Shack just completely 
if the dynamite didn't break down everything, the shack was the final sledgehammer and everything. Because it really, it woke me up to what my relationship could be. And it's, I think, um, who is the main character in the shack? Mac. Yes. Okay. He is kind of like at a certain point, kind of like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, what is this? And God is just like, has just made him breakfast and it's just like, just, just be here. Just, this is it. Like, just enjoy yourself. Just, this is it. How are you? (laughs) And, uh, that, that was me. And that's still kind of me where it's like, wait, I can enjoy my life now. I can like freely accept love and give it. And there's nothing else that I have to do. I don't have to like dunk my head in water or something. Mm-hmm. Like I've done that so many times too. I have been baptized at least three times in my life, like full submersion baptism, never felt clean, never felt good enough. But now, I mean, I went out in the woods like a couple of Sundays ago and I laid down the leaves and got all dirty and I definitely felt God there. And definitely we had a conversation. It was good. It was good. That's awesome. Ashley, a little bit ago, you were talking about purity culture and how it just really was damaging for you. Uh, first of all, because we haven't really talked about purity culture yet on the podcast how would you define purity culture? And then can you uh, talk a little bit about what you were taught about it and what that told you about who you are and your worth as a human and specifically a woman? So um, purity culture, how it's always been represented to me is, um, and this is just coming from perspective of a woman. Um, I don't really know what happened on the guy's end, but um, purity culture is, be a virgin until you're married, but also don't make a man lust after you. Don't, don't make a man stumble as they say. Um, so, uh, and it's a lot of, you know, you can't wear these certain things. Um, you can't have your hair a certain way. Um, it's your responsibility to not make the man's eyes look at you. Yes, a lot of that. And if he looks at you and lusts, that is your fault. Yes. It's on me. It's yeah. not on him. Yes. Yes. So uh, the church taught me that I was a slut before I ever had sex. A hundred percent. And that made my first couple of sexual encounters absolutely traumatizing because I thought, I'm going to hell. Because I thought this or I did this. Um, It was heavily ingrained also in my family. So like, let me give you an example. One time I wore a, I had just got back from a really heavy run. It was hot. I was wearing Nike shorts and a t-shirt. I came inside my house um, and I took off my shirt. So I had my sports bra on. And my mother uh, was like, hey, can you take out the garbage real fast? It's like 20 paces from my front door. So I was like, yeah, cool. We don't live on a busy street or anything. I didn't think twice about going outside, throwing out the trash, coming back in. 
But as soon as I stepped out that door, she was just living and screaming like, "You're a man's going to see you and a man is going <laughs> to lust after you. And uh, that was my first um, kind of understanding of, okay, the way that I dress has to be uh, like no skin at all. Or if it's skin, it can be like um, maybe like the bottom half of my legs and my arms. Obviously, like, school is kind of reinforces too with the whole, like, dress code thing. Can't show the shoulders. Don't wear Nike shorts um, and that kind of thing. So, personally, and then I started, I started seeing my friends, too, that were experiencing sexual assault or catcalling, things like that. And it was always their fault. So, that also... Um, kind of feeds into why we don't report things too. So like purity culture just fostered a lot of ideas that women are responsible for things and to blame for things and to be quiet about things that are, you know, within purity culture, Uh, which I don't think you would really think about rape and sexual assault under purity culture, but I feel like it's just an umbrella term that also encompasses that so um what it taught me about myself was that um obviously you're (laughs) I really just felt like a slut because you know when you're a teenager uh everything's changing and you're wondering about things and uh, masturbation is also a thing that everyone is ashamed to talk about doesn't want to talk about and um there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of shame around that which is unnecessary and unnatural in my opinion um also encompassed in purity culture so it just kind of taught me to always be ashamed always be um it made me kind of paranoid because I I always had to be alert about like what I'm wearing what I'm saying don't make certain like gestures don't eat a banana a certain way don't (laughs) like it got down to the like tiniest things where it was like, I am always walking on eggshells to make sure that a man does not think about having sex with me. But you know what's funny is I worked in a restaurant uh, when I was 16, and I was wearing these god-awful slacks that gave me no shape at all. I was wearing this gross, bleach-covered terry cloth shirt. Does not fit my shape at all. And I got catcalled every day, and I got harassed every day. And then it started to kind of uh come to light for me that it doesn't matter what I'm wearing if people want to lust after me they'll lust after me I don't have boobs I don't have a butt I I'm built like a boy to to be quite frank so uh if they're gonna if they're gonna lust they're just gonna and I can't do anything about that so it's out of my hands which is a very um counter I don't want to say countercultural, but in purity culture, it, that is very countercultural because you're, you are still doing something wrong to make them act that way. Yes. I don't, and I hate coming at it from just the perspective of a woman, but I don't have anything else to go off of because I wish I knew what purity culture was like for boys. All I know is that in school, they learned how to put on a condom. And I think they were told, like, don't have sex till you're married, but from what I heard from all the guys in middle school, they taught us to put a condom on a banana. <laughs> not, not in my school. And <laughs> really? 
Did they not? <laughs> Did they have sex ed? Uh, like when you were in school? I think maybe in high school, but no, not sooner than that. I had sex ed in middle school, and it was a lot of um, pictures of like STD things, um, like really graphic, just to try to scare the crap out of us. And, you know, don't have sex because if you do, then uh, what is it? You know, when you break a vase and you try to put it back together, you can put it together, but it's not the same. Oh, I hated that. It's like, how did your penis define (laughs) who I am or what I'm worth? It's not that great. You're not, you're not God. You're just not. (laughs) Sorry. You know, it's kind of ironic how they, um, how they build up virginity as this, this, you know, this priceless diamond that you have to hold on to and don't you ever get it blemished or give it away. Um, and they, they teach that about virginity, but at the same time, they're teaching you that you are a depraved sinner and you're depraved from birth and you need, you're a sinner needing, needing a savior, but you've got this beautiful diamond, you know, that, that you can't <laughs> let go of. Yeah. Ugh, but just, then uh, when you do get married and have sex, then all of a sudden it's like, all of a sudden it's not shameful, but you, yeah. you can't just make that switch overnight. And so then I think, I have been told because I'm not a married person, but I've been told that to carry that into the first years of a marriage, you know, is very, can be very damaging to try to um, get to a place where like, no, God created sex and it's okay. God loves sex. I don't know if (laughs) nobody's ready for this conversation, but I honestly think God's a nymphomaniac. (laughs) Like, like he's into that. He made it. <laughs> if you believe he made everything, he made that too. And there's a reason that it feels good. And there's a reason that good things come from it, like little babies. So, you know, um, yeah, that always, like what you were saying, Chris, about um, here's your precious thing and don't mess it up, but also you're a filthy sinner. So that kind of goes back into what I'm, I was saying, like the church made me a slut before I even mm-hmm, had right. sex. Um, cause I, I still never felt like I was worthy, um, to like be a wife, be married and like give away my gift kind of yeah. thing. And then when I gave away the gift, it didn't really seem like a gift. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, and like in marriage, it still felt shameful for me, um, to be quite frank. Um, when I was married, it still kind of felt like, am I allowed to do this? I don't know. Um, And there was still a lot of shame around that. And still with masturbation, like even if you're married, even if whatever, like no matter if I was a virgin or not or married or not, masturbation was still just felt off limits and felt shameful and disgusting and I have a friend that she sent me a, a real life thing that you can buy and it is um, you can like strap young boys onto it. It's like the shape of a cross and it straps their arms out and their legs down. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's a real no. thing. Yes. But no. it's like an, uh, an anti-masturbation device for boys. <laughs> wow. Well, they also made cornflakes and that didn't do anything. So do you remember that? The person that created cornflakes. <laughs> created it because they thought it would stop mass masturbation oh my gosh. Oh, never heard of that because they I, 
I forgot the theory. You look it up. Look it up because cornflakes were supposed to stop masturbation, but they did not satisfy. Well, I was told that it could make you blind. You know. Yeah. I feel like the more you demonize something, the more you push people into that. Oh yeah. You know, and so yeah. like the the, I it feels like counterintuitive of like, well. Hey, church, if you want people to stop doing these things, tell them to go do it. Yeah. That's true. I know. I, I, I've, I've always thought that about um, the church is overly obsessed with sin. And if you're constantly talking about sin, then what are you, people are going to always think about sin. And same with sex. You know, if you're so opposed to this and, and, and they keep talking about it all the time, that's all they're going to think about. Honestly, that had never occurred to me, but there is such truth in that, you know, like, I didn't think about them constantly dwelling on sin, but really that's the whole point mm-hmm. of church. Like yeah. to me, it's just, like it's just going and having some guy be like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Have a great day. What's yeah. for lunch? Like that's all it ever was. No wonder it was constantly on our minds. Yeah. No wonder. Just like a behavior. You know, management. Cause you're thinking I have to avoid this. Oh, but it's, uh, but, uh, and then it makes it more appealing. Don't touch the hot thing. Makes you want to touch it. Yeah. Did were you in? Uh, did you ever read the? Um, oh, now it blanked on Joshua Harris's book. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess dating goodbye. Did you read that? I did, and I got shamed by a bunch of Christians for thinking it was cute to have a, a potential date be interviewed by my dad. Oh yeah. At like twenty something, yeah, and I got shamed by a bunch of Christians. <laughs> yeah, it was a big big deal in in the church circles I was in. And where is he now? Divorced, atheist, uh, and regrets writing that book. Yeah, and and has a course on deconstruction now that he will sell you. <laughs> I believe it. I think that everyone ends up in deconstruction whether or not you want it to happen. I think you can fight it for a very long time, but I think, and you may not ever like express it verbally to anyone, but I think deconstruction, this is just my, um, this is my hot take. <laughs> my um, 50th hot take in this podcast, but um, I feel like either you go through it or you really, really want to, you really, really want to look outside of the cage. Yeah. Cause that was, I didn't want to look out. It just, I got pushed out. So, <laughs> which was good for me. I'm, I'm happy about the rejection of the church. Cause honestly, like I said, Best worship is happening for me now. Yes, great. Yeah, I think you're. You there's some a lot of truth in that what you just said, Ashley. Um, and I think though a lot of people resist it with all their might. You know, they they may start thinking about things, but of course they they resist it because they don't feel the freedom to ask those questions or to come to different conclusions as the church has come to, or to not come to a conclusion. Period. Right. The things that don't have the answers that, I mean, like uncertainty. I think Jason talked about this too when he talked to you guys. Just the whole, we're always looking for that answer to be certain about everything. And it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel like we are going to get to heaven and Jesus does love us. And it's like, sometimes you just have to accept, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm just going to try to be good to people and be good to myself. And Maybe it'll just do the ripple thing and we'll all sing Kubaya and 
hug trees and just kidding <laughs> that won't happen i know it won't yeah and it's interesting like the church you hear a lot of the church demonizing deconstruction and doubting oh, you yeah. know and it's almost they don't realize that they're actually pushing people to it but because it's been so demonized people leave when they actually start doing the thing that the church wouldn't stop talking about instead of creating a safe place for people to question and have true dialogues and conversations and know that they are loved at the end of the day, period. Yeah. See, that's just, that's the kind of community that I found with like messy spirituality podcasts and messy conversations. And that's what church should be. It, it shouldn't be the one guy being like, here's what we should do. Have a good day. Um, but it, I, I've never been to a house church, but I think it's kind of similar, um, to this kind of thing where it's like just a shared community that's just safe and loving. And you just kind of explore different ideas together, um, that you find, um, in your spiritual journey. And I think that's beautiful. And I wish that's what the church could be. And I wish that we could just leave money out of it and, um, all of the like uh, persuasion <laughs> tactics and all that. Totally agree. So good. So you've talked about like getting kicked out of the church because um, you know, you're a heretic and a divorcee and all of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, some of your relationships with other Christians have changed since leaving the church? I actually have a friend, his name is Gary, and he used to live like a really reckless, horrible life, to be honest, like raging alcoholic, very risky behavior. And he is has kind of turned his life over to God. He's I believe that he's returned to the Church of Christ, um, but he's he's got a really like fresh mindset on it, um, kind of similar to how I think, but but still um but still Church of Christ um, in the same vein. So uh, he, I've been having uh, him over to my house recently, and we've been having like small conversations about theology. And um, honestly, I thought it would be kind of annoying to listen to someone from the Church of Christ again, but he kind of opened my mind back up to it. Um, and I really enjoy talking with him, um, I think, because he's more mellow. However, with my family, that's still heavily involved with, um, I guess, that former community of mine. Uh, we we don't. We can't talk about it at all. Um, just because they, they have no idea what I am. I guess, and they can't sit with that. It's hard for them to reconcile in their head that like I have a relationship with God and I don't um, do all the things that they do. So, or attend all the things that they attend and um, that kind of thing. But in general now, I, I used to be of the mind that I should always be around people with the same mindset to kind of, uh, what is that thing? We want to like purify our minds or whatever when we're Christians and, and just, you know, keep the same group of friends and he hold each other accountable, which can be a good thing. But, um, I've learned just recently that, um, 
the diversity and the minds that are not alike are where I've really grown more. So I I like I like having my relationships with my more like mellow Christian friends that are not not so eager to tell me like, all right, you're going to hell. I'll see you at the gates and then they'll throw you down there. Um, and I, I really like now learning about um, like Buddhist and, and Hinduism and um, heck, Messianic Jews. Is that what it's called? I'm pretty sure. Um, that's a whole new world to me too. And um, I don't know. I, I'm, Yeah, <laughs> I'm just enjoying, um, I'm enjoying the diversity now of my community um, and just getting to explore different ideas um, and just know that not everything is black and white. Not everything is just a cookie cutter, um, spirituality, uh, one size fits all kind of thing. Um, and that everybody's welcome at the table. I really, I really like that. I imagine us in that, that painting of the the last supper and I, I imagine literally everyone in the whole world all thinking differently with different biases and I'm thinking we're all welcome here and that's that's the good news that's really what the good news is so tell me Ashley who or what is God to you now I want so badly to say you know that God is uh actively working in my life. I want to say all these like deep, rich things about God, but I guess I'm still, I'm still exploring and letting God in whoever, whatever God is. I think the mythical being that is God, and I don't say that in the sarcastic tone, I legitimately think that God is a mythical, wonderful being that is literally light and love wrapped up and that is all it's just a a vast force of love and light and i think god is beautiful um but personally i don't really know what that means for me besides trying to embrace uh any part of that that i can um when it comes to me when it stays with me just embracing that and trying to attract it um, and I don't really know if that's like an adequate answer at all. Uh, I just, I don't know anything and I kind that makes me kind of know everything, but also still know nothing. So <laughs> I'm just, I feel like I'm floating and I'm happy that this is, you've both created this safe space where we can explore it and kind of expand on it. Um, cause I, I've just been floating and I've not really in the last couple of months, not really uh, had a chance to express it verbally in a safe place. So I appreciate this. But God is probably you guys too. I think that. Like, I, I really think that. I think some people are that force of light and love wrapped up. And I think it's generating in both of you. So. Oh, thank you. I think that's kind of our our hope for being in the world. And I would hope that is everybody's hope for being in the world that they embody light and love, you know, and not, and not disguising 
hatred and division as light and love. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's that's where the, the water gets muddy with things like, um, I guess, all those like weird ethical questions and um, with uh, political shit. Oh, God. I don't even want to vote anymore. <laughs> I must, but I don't want to. Um, yeah. But yeah, like um, very polarizing things. The water gets muddy. And like I'm still, I used to be like a gunslinging, like, uh, conservative, but now I just think I'm like Jesus wouldn't carry a gun. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with this information? Because, uh, like this is how you know I'm still. I'll always be in deconstruction, always, because I'll I'll always be like straddling the fence between like what used to be so comfortable, but what I know now that I can't yeah. unknow. And I can't unknow all of the like good teachings that were true about Jesus that I'm just now learning. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I've used that phrase before. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you know, I think that's what all the all the stories in in the Gospels about Jesus, you know, giving people sight and giving you know, and he says, you know, those who have ears to hear, let night. That means people who actually can see the real depths of, of what he was trying to teach of living a life of love and light, but not everybody has their eyes open or their ears open to see that. And I feel like he laid it out so perfectly and so like simply, but if you're an overanalyzer, you know, you just, you read into it and then you listen to other people that are you know, uh, navigating and subscribing to a toxic kind of religious system. That's where you start to be like, oh, so we have to do this and this and this and this, and then we'll be good. Um, and it just, that's, it's not the point. It's not the point. And um, I'm just really happy about the Jesus that I've come to know that's not the big brother that's like, no, father, please don't smite my siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's not too far from me. Because, uh, you know, Jesus is dead, so bye, you know. But, like, it's good to know that energy is still resonating and it's it's within reach at all times. Uh you know, people say all the time, oh, I feel Jesus with me. Jesus is here. Jesus is among us. But do you actually know that? Do you actually acknowledge that every day or like try to be in touch with it? Because I feel like it, it takes it, it takes a little bit of work mm-hmm. on our end to, um, to just kind of be aware of it. I mean, as we need to be self-aware, Maybe we should also try to be aware of Jesus' presence, you know, light and love. Have you read The Universal Christ? No. What is The Universal Christ? It's it's a book by Richard Rohr, and I think you would probably love it because that's what he's talking about, that the universal Christ is this, you know, the spirit of, of Christ that permeates the universe. Yes. I, that's definitely it for me (laughs) 
he says Jesus was, you know, an as an instantiation or like a single time in in the world when we saw that, but there there have been others, and um, but it's still just kind of it still permeates everything, you know. So it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. How how could he not permeate everything if he's light and love? What does light not touch? And it's it's all these teachings that I used to hear as a kid that now the certain parts of it that needed to stick have stuck, you know, like I'm glad I burned away everything because now I can come back to it and I, I see exactly what I needed to keep. Yeah. In new ways with new eyes. Literally with new eyes. It's literally like the scales fell off. Completely new eyes. A whole Paul Saul moment. That's amazing. Not to glorify Paul. (laughs) Paul, I love you, but you messed up. (laughs) You messed up, man. (laughs) 